0: Welcome to Hope Beyond the Badge, a podcast that brings awareness, inspiration, and conversation together for first responders, families, and others interested in mental well being in first response. New episodes weekly with your hosts, Jay Bailey and Linda Kokoros. Jay is a father. A military veteran, worked in the fire service for 18 years, and carries a diagnosis of PTSD. Linda is a mom, a wife, a certified life coach for first responders, and a suicide loss survivor of a first responder. Let's talk about it. On today's episode, we're very excited to have Quincy Police Chief Mark Kennedy and Lieutenant Bill Ward joining us. Chief Kennedy served on the Quincy Police Department for 24 years prior to being promoted to head the department in 2023. Lieutenant Ward has served the department for 32 years and has experience assisting officers that have been involved in critical incidents or impacted by duty trauma as a member of the stress team. Gentlemen, we understand that you've both worked in a number of roles during your time in law enforcement. We're very excited to hear about your careers overall and how your experiences as an officer and other supervisory roles have contributed to your thoughts on duty trauma and the importance of first responder mental health. We value your input on the subject matter and truly appreciate your willingness to participate in this discussion with us. With that said, could you please take a moment to introduce yourselves to our audience?
1: To you, Billy. How are you doing? My name is uh, Bill Water. I'm a lieutenant with the police department. Um, my current position is I work uh, in the chief's office, and um, I guess I'm the internal affairs guy. I'm not probably the best, best position I've ever had. Um, prior to that, uh, I was a sergeant in patrol, and I was in the drug unit before that, and patrol before that. Uh, I've been a Quincy police officer for 22 years. Prior to that, I was a New York City police officer. Then I was able to come back. The small town of Grafton for a brief time and then Franklin and then back home to Quincy where I was born and raised.
2: Well, good for you. Hi, Mark Kennedy. I'm currently the chief of the Quincy Police Department. Uh, I got uh, hired by the uh, police department in 1998. Prior to that, I spent a year uh, as an inspector with the Immigration and Naturalization Service, a job I got right out of college. And uh, um, it was about a year there before Quincy called and I uh, jumped at the chance to go to work for my hometown, so uh, I got on there at 23 years old. I was uh, assigned to the patrol division, as everyone is when they get out of the academy, and uh, eventually got uh, into uh, assigned to the detectives uh, unit in special investigations where we handled you know, child abuse, elder abuse, um, sexual assaults, and all crimes involving juveniles. I did that until I was promoted to sergeant, worked uh, as a sergeant in patrol for uh, many years uh, until I uh, made the lieutenant and was assigned to our special operations unit, which is our uh, motorcycles, the SWAT team, and the crisis negotiators. Oh. And um, and just uh, sort of as luck would have it, I uh, was uh, promoted to chief um, back in June, and I've been uh, the chief of the department since uh, since June of this past year, so
3: congratulations chief and we're very very ha- happy to have both of you in here today thanks for having us both long careers right and um in the department share with us a little bit about your families Do you have families share with us about your family yeah
2: uh, i'm i'm uh, married i have uh um, two uh boys from my my first marriage they're great kids jackson and ryan and uh two uh, little girls from my second marriage ainsley and ava who uh we're uh, very excited if I said their name on the radio. So. Well, there you go; <laughs>
3: they're gonna they're gonna be excited that they're on the radio. Two boys and two girls—that's a nice nice uh, number, right? Bill,
1: I have uh, three. I have a, a boy who's a Canton police officer, and then I have two daughters, um, one twenty-five and one twenty-two. So uh, everybody's out of college. Me and Mark are in different stages of our lives, you would say. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, happy to get them all out of college. Um, Happy that my son is a Canton police officer. He um, seems to really like it, and we'll see how, how his career goes.
3: Well, excellent. Thank you for sharing that with us and our listeners. I mean, we're, we're very, very excited to, to have you in here tonight. I think it's an honor. Um, you know, and Chief, I have to say, uh, like, one thing that like, I'm really impressed with anytime I've emailed you, um, you're like literally on the ball, like, getting back. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of really not heard <laughs> of, you know what I mean? And uh, I'm sort of persistent. It was like, wow, this is like very different from a, a chief getting back. And, and like answering your own emails too. I'm very impressed with that.
2: Yeah, I'm a hands-on type of person. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, much to the dismay of my wife, my phone never relieves my side. So uh, <laughs> generally when something comes in, it's like, uh, you know, it goes into your inbox and I, I don't like to leave it there. So I like to uh, answer, get it out as soon as possible and, and – uh, the next thing so
3: yeah well I appreciate that um because um you did respond to me right away and and then we started to develop the conversation right through email and and here you are tonight um with Bill so we're very happy to have you in I want to get into um a little bit like let's start off with your the beginning of both your careers whoever wants to go first like um you know you're 24 years you said on the Quincy Police Department right was that something that you always wanted to do like share with us like that was that. What was your thought? Yeah,
2: so I'm I'm the first one in my family um, to go into law enforcement. Um, so yeah, it was just something I, I I just sort of started feeling a calling towards uh, when I was in in high school, in college. Uh, I got a job, basically just answering phone and phones and taking messages at the the police department detective bureau. Ah. So I would work, uh, you know, summers and and vacations and things like that um, uh, doing that. And I just remember just sort of being an R of the, the detectives and the police work and hearing the, the stories and the things that they did. And yeah. I, I love that, um, the camaraderie that they had. And I just, I remember thinking, wow, how cool must it be to do this job? And, yeah. um, so from that point on, when I, when I went to college, I majored in criminal justice and I just sort of set my sights on a career in law enforcement. Wow. And at that point, I didn't know if it was going to be, um, you know, I was applying for everything, I took the the local civil service exam, and I was applying for a bunch of the different federal agencies out of college, and I graduated in 1997, and I was home uh, working that summer, and I got a a FedEx package from the Immigration Service before they merged post-9-11 with uh, Customs and became ICE. They were two separate uh, entities, and I got a, a, a packet from the Immigration and Naturalization Service, a test that I had taken, and... That was a couple months later. I was down in uh, Fletsy and Glencoe, Georgia, in the academy, and uh, luckily I, I got Boston right out of the academy, which was rare. Most of the wow. the people I was with went to different parts of the country, um, so I was really it was a it was a gateway agency. You know, if I I wasn't an agent, I was an inspector in Boston, mm. um, and it was just a really really cool opportunity for the training, and um, and I, I just uh, I didn't know if I was going to make my career path staying in federal law enforcement and you know, getting my time in and then applying for an agent position somewhere. Yeah. Or uh, then when Quincy called, it was, it was really a no-brainer. It was kind of that dream, like I said, when I was answering phones to say, how cool would it be to be a, a Quincy police officer? Police officer, detective. right. And, um, so, yeah, it was, uh, I've, I've, I've really had a great career, um, and I, I have several more to go, and I'm not wishing the time away. I'm really enjoying this new role, and yeah. I've really been lucky to have a lot of really good roles and a lot of good role models in our department. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been, it's been a great career thus far.
3: Yeah. It sounds like, like at that, from that beginning when you were like answering those phones, right. Um, you know, that you were, um, had admiration for what was around you and be able to absorb that in. So it was sort of like a no brainer for you to go into that and, you know, it's a calling, right? Yeah, it's Absolutely. a calling, and it's still there with you, right? To to go and and like take you know college in criminal justice, right? Um, and be able to further your career in that. I mean, it's amazing. So yeah, thank you for for sharing that with us. How about thank yourself, you. Bill?
1: So uh, as just like Mark, uh, I'm the first police officer in my family, and there's numerous more to come. Uh, my brother Michael's a uh, police officer in Quincy with us. I have several cousins on the, on the state police. I have people uh, cousins who work in the sheriff's department. So uh, I guess, Mike, I always wanted to be a Quincy police officer, but when I was a kid, my dad had a friend. His name was Jack Kelly. Jack Kelly was a, a legend on our job. And he um, he came to a call in our neighborhood one time, and he came and helped someone out, and it stuck in my head forever. I'm like, that's the guy I want to be. I want to be Jack Kelly. I want to be, be a police officer. Jack has uh, retired several years now. But Jack was was like a hero, and I, I didn't realize it. But when I got there, like everybody looked up to Jack. Jack, would, Jack wow. was just that guy, and he was a good friend of my my dad's, and uh, and that's when it was. So, I, but I took the road less traveled, I guess you would say. So it was in the late '80s. It was tough to get on the police. Very hard to get on the police department, and so I took a job. I took a test when I was in college. I went down and I, uh, I took the New York City police test, and I and I got called, um, and I started in the academy there in 19, April of 1991. And um, I stayed there for several years, and then uh, we got married. Wanted to come back. Wanted to come back home to Massachusetts. There's nothing I ever wanted to be except a Quincy police also, There Was nothing. There was no nothing else would suffice for me. So really, really, it's it. Wow. That's never. Very easy in life because you know what you see. People who don't know what path they want. Wow. I just wanted to be a Quincy. That was it. That's 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 the. You knew the pinnacle. For you me. just so knew. Do, yeah. Wow. So I was uh, I was lucky enough to. Uh, so we got married and. My wife is from here. She's from Canton, and we moved back. Um, we, we come back into the state. I got a job in the tiny town of Grafton, so I went from the Bronx to um, Grafton. And at the time, Grafton didn't even have a street light. So uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it was uh, it was adjustment, to say the least. Um, and then I, I moved over to Franklin, and then I was lucky enough to to transfer to Quincy uh, in 2001. Wow. Well. And Quincy's been great. I've had a very, very charmed career there. I was on the, I was in patrol. Then I was on the motorcycles. Um, I had a partner there, Jamie Cochran. I don't know if Jamie passed away on an off-duty motorcycle accident. It was one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. And uh, then I moved on to the drug unit. I was in the drug unit for several years. I, uh, for five years I left, I went to the DEA in Boston as a task force officer. So I reported in there. Um, That was exciting. Learned a lot of things. Yeah. Um, Then I, then I took a test. I got promoted to sergeant in 2016, and then just last April, I'm I a lieutenant, and uh, I was in the Detectives Bureau, and then um, Chief Kennedy uh, took over and asked me if I'd come and work in his office, and uh, I couldn't say no to Mark. Mark's no,
3: sergeant. you, sa- you Mark. said yes. <laughs> I did,
1: I, I'm i not saying I jumped at it. Cause it's not the most desirable <laughs> job being yeah. an internal affairs guy, so... Um, yeah. At the time when I was up there, I was also not only was I in in detectives at the time, but I was also the um, peer support officer, and uh, with two other people, two other great people, uh, Matt Panizello and Anne-Marie Riley. They are aces. I can't. I could talk an hour about how great what great mm. people they are. They are just the nicest people you ever meet, and they've done more for people than I could ever tell you.
3: Wow, that's amazing. Well, yeah, two long great careers, right? And and both of you wanted to, knew what you were wanted to do, you knew what you wanted, you wanted to be a, a Quincy police officer, and you also wanted to be a police officer chief, um, and then you know, thinking about that, when you got on, right, I know you're both like on Quincy now, when you got on the police department, right, and whatever first department you served in, yeah. right, what was that like, for you as a new police officer, coming out of the academy, was it, what you expected? Uh, I can see the chief like, he was like, okay. <laughs> but um, what was it like? Was it what you expected uh, or dreamed of or what you pictured in your head, like what it was going to be? So I
1: didn't really know what it was going to be like when I came out, so I went to the police academy, and then when I left the police academy, which is in Manhattan in New York, yeah. I went to the 46th precinct in the Bronx, and it, it, it was a very tough area. It's in the South Bronx. Um, and the first time they put out, like, i um pretty talkative, outgoing at times. But when I went there, my accent stuck out, and everybody knew my accent no matter what I did. And I would say, I would say, send a car over here, and people would get on the – People were very, very funny. They, those people, were, the, the guys down there were great to me, but they would get on the radio and say, it's not what you can do for your precinct. They would mock <laughs> me all the time. They were great. <laughs> guys, guys were very, very good. Um, so I, I don't know what, um, oh a little God. nervousness, little little... Um, you were like a little, f- little, a little yeah. fish in a big bowl, yeah, right? Yeah, but when you got there, you, I mean, it was one of those precincts you had to be awake all day. There was a shooting in that precinct every night. So oh. it was like when you went to work, it was, it was game day. That's why it was a light, you know, people, people stuck together. We were, very, we were only one square mile, and we were the second busiest precinct in, in, the, in the city of New York. Wow. Out of
3: 75 precincts. Yeah, so, I can imagine because yeah. it's like the population,
1: right, right. In, in New York City. And it was great. The guys, I'm, I'm still in touch with them. And actually, Chief Kennedy is still friendly with numerous guys that I've brought up here over the years to play softball. And uh, a lot of the Quincy guys and New York City guys have a, have a great bond.
3: Wow. Yeah. Was it an eye opener for you? Like, wow, all wow, this hustle and bustle? It was. It was. Wow.
1: I remember the first day it was there, it was just an night you came out and you didn't, yeah. It was an eye opening experience. Like yeah. the first time you heard, you know, shots fired and it was real and someone got shot and you went there like it was like my first week out of the academy.
3: Wow. Definitely eye opening. Wow. Yeah. Like, wow, this yeah, this is real. This is real. Yeah, this, is real. Real. Yeah, this yeah. is
1: real. But it was great. People brought me along. I had mentors there. I have a guy that I still talk to. His name is Larry Conway. He's a retired police officer down there. He was like the guy I looked up to, and he kind of guided me. Do this, do this, do this. And yeah. Because we have you. Have people up. We always have people we looked up to. When it came to Quincy, you had people you looked up to, like Jack Kelly. Jack Kelly was still here. Yeah. And you just uh, you always have role models. Yeah. I think you've, you, you pick out guys that you will say, I want to so be, say, this, yeah, I wanna be I like, like this I wanna, guy. I want to be like that guy right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get been, that good feeling, right, about them. i fortunate along the way to have those guys. yeah.
3: I like that. I like that story. But yeah. that was funny about the, the accent. Your accent stood out. I bet you didn't think of that when you went to New York. Like, I'm going to be, like, The last thing on picked.
1: my mind is my accent. And it, would, it, it was the last thing. And then, <laughs> it was, so was then spent. it became very quiet, very quick. I'll tell you that yeah. right now. <laughs> you didn't want to be made yeah, fun of. Yeah, and it started pronouncing my R's. And then my friends, <laughs> I come home back here, and they're pronouncing that, like, hey, who's Billy from New York pronouncing his R's? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my
3: God. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Chief, what about yourself? Was that like, yeah, what was that like for you, like, Coming out of the academy and getting in was it everything that you had dreamt of, or more, or like eye opening, just like what Billy said, you know? Yeah, no, I was just uh,
2: laughing about the accent thing because uh, as a as a twenty two year old kid in, in uh, the uh, the federal academy in Brunswick, Georgia, we would go out on like a Friday night and I'd order a cause light. And the bartender would look at me and just walk away like the civil war is still raging down there (laughs) and they wanted nothing to do with me. So I quickly, I quickly lost my Boston accent down there too. Um, but no, coming out of the Academy, like Billy said, it was, I mean, uh, I really didn't, I didn't know what to expect. And, uh, I had some really great training officers and like Billy said, Jack Kelly and some of the, some of the officers that, that I've been so fortunate to have uh, worked with and learned from, um, you know, it's. I, I know. I, I remember our training lieutenant because you get out of the academy and they have you all, you know, uh, rev- all pumped up. Yeah, yeah ready and, to go. Uh, yeah, and uh, the uh, our training lieutenant Vinnie Flaherty uh, sat us down and said, uh, "Listen, the the academy taught you how to be cops. Now we're going to teach you how to be Quincy cops, and there's a difference." Yeah, and they really they broke down. I mean, they were very. Quincy has always been really um, uh, com- committed to the to the public, right, and committed to the. The citizens of Quincy, and you know, sitting there, and I'm thinking, you know, you're going to go out and try and you know pull over Pablo Escobar, or you know whatever. And 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 the truth is, you're you're driving around Germantown, and you you, you're expected to find, hey, there's a the the basketball hoop doesn't have a net, Uh, (laughs) so your next shift shift, make sure you call the park department and make sure they go out there. (laughs) No, <laughs> it's it's you got to have yep. your integrity, yeah. right? Yeah. Like th- th- your pride and your beat and you're taking yeah. care of the people and yeah. you have the access to make a phone call and get that, that yeah. taken care of and yeah. So I mean, yeah, the, the, I wasn't prepared for. I mean, you could never be prepared for some of the calls you go on. Yeah. And, um, and some of the things that that you have to see, but it's not all bad. And there's a lot of good things you do and you help yeah. a lot of people. And um, you know, it's 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 been uh, like I said, I. I It was a great learning experience, and and it was made easier for me because of the people um, that I worked with and worked for. um, And uh, I've I've really had a a good experience. But, yeah, if I could go back and see the world out of – my 23-year-old eyes is yeah. a lot different than they see the world now.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. You know, I remember, like, some some of the interviews that we've done, Jay, and, like, some of the, especially the police officers, like, you know, I'm right out of the academy and I'm ready to go bring on the cartel. Right. Maybe we'll catch some serial killer, you know, all that type of stuff going on. Um, like, with the excitement of getting on and then realize that uh, that's not, that's not going to happen very soon, you know. Yeah. But there's other things that they learn, you know as they go on and again being coached by you know having someone um who you can look up to and be guided by in the department um so as you get in as you get into it like as as a, a police officer do you want to chime in jay or anything or no? role. okay all right <laughs> told you right um so as a like a getting into your career and you're you're already in the job and you're 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 sort of establishing where you're going. You were in New York, right? And you had to start to get over, I'm going to have to lose this accent very quickly. Um, Share with us, like, after that, like that initial, I'm getting going. Like, and then, you know, the calls that you go on. Was there, like, calls that you think that you, you know, are, like, stuck with you or that you want to share with us about, like, some of those calls that you remember? Whether it be earlier on in your career or... You know, as you're into it, if a couple of years, 10 years or whatever down the road that you'd say, oh, man, that like really stuck me or did I, did I, did I feel that? So I like, can stuff it in my backpack. Like, how did you handle those type of things? So
1: initially, uh, when I worked in, in New York, um, you, your first year, you walk a footbeat. You don't, um, you don't get inside of a cruiser. And they don't okay. call them cruisers down. They call them RMPs. ps That's here, or there. But yeah. they, you don't get to ride in a, a police car. You we walk a foot beat, so no matter what it was, you would what we would walk to calls. Um, but I might have been there four or five months, and we went to uh, a baby death, a baby, and we ended up doing CPR on a baby. And I didn't think it impacted me too much until you know weeks or months later, you, you start thinking back on that. But um, that was tough. It was, you know, twenty three year old kid down there, um, lived by myself. In the yeah. So when you go home, it's not like you bounce something off there. My wife of my girlfriend at the time lived back here. Yeah. And all you do is, you know, and like what regular cops do, like back in the day, like when something bad happened or there was something, you go you go to the bar. And yeah. That's not, you know, as we know now, that wasn't the thing to do. But yeah. that's what that's all they knew to do. Like when something bad happened, the sergeant would tell you, All right, guys, it's tonight you need to go to the bar. Yeah. So choir practice, as they well, some practice, of the Colorado. Yeah, We've heard that yeah. from Chief
3: Del Papa. Um, you know. At the end of it, going to choir practice and, and, and having and, and a few drinks.
1: And I'll tell you right now, there's nothing wrong with guys going out for a few beers. But if it yeah. becomes two, three, four nights, but if you're going out just to talk to guys after work, sometimes that's a good thing. But yeah. it's not all the letting time. it off it's your just, chest, right? But if you start stringing a lot of days together, it's, yeah. not, it's not a it's not a good thing. But that that was uh, impactful for me. Um, I you know I was down there. I saw a police officer get shot one of the times down there. He he lived and everything, but that kind of you kind of think back you're like, oh boy, I showed up after it happened but you're there and you see them wheeling him into a into a stretcher on a stretcher into the ambulance and leaving and everybody's like tensions are really really high yeah it's something that really it really stuck with me yeah and that was in my within my first year down yeah.
3: there. So. so does anybody ever like say to you hey are you okay after that like after that the baby that right anyone ever come to you and say are you okay
1: not a word well no. it's just it that was the culture back then it's not yes. and that's not it's just the way yes. it was it's like right. you worked in the Bronx and you worked in this precinct, and this is the toughest precinct in the Bronx, and we're tougher than everybody else. And cops have egos, and you know, and no one wants to peel back and say, "Hey, listen, this really bothered me." Yeah. So that's just the way, just the way the world was then. Yeah. And luckily, it's changed.
3: Yeah, it's changed somewhat, but I think that you know, back then, like the way you're describing it, I mean, I'm just going back to like even other interviews, like the guy, like Rule right? big, big burly like SWAT guy, right down in Florida, and who was involved. He was of one of the head of the SWAT team and uh, from the Pulse nightclub shooting, like that mass shooting, down there, and he was leading in the SWAT, like, um, trying to get that guy. And he, you know, when I interviewed him, he had said, um, and I was said, so after all of that, like, what did you do? Did you just talk about it? And they were like, no, and it was like, there was no talking about it, Linda. You didn't get to say, give me a minute. You know what I mean? Give me a minute for. To, to let me blow this off. I mean, he had these words the way he used it. Give me. There was no. Give me a minute. It was. We had to get ready for the next call. And I think that, like, as a police officer, um, you know, when you go to a scene, right, as you just described, your that baby that, or the officer shooting, and that have an impact on you, right? To say, wow, well, that could be me. I would be saying that, right, myself. Right. Well, th- that could be me. I need to be very careful. Watch out for those type of things, um, but. We didn't talk about it, right? And that was the culture then. Um, Like, I don't talk about, I need to be ready. And I'm not going to show any sign of weakness because in the academy you're trained. Don't show any sign of weakness, right? So, uh, and if there was anything back then, I don't know even back then if there was anything talked about mental health. Be prepared for that. But they're preparing you to be tough and shove it down. Stuff that stuff down. Right. Um, You know, you want to elaborate on that a little bit
1: no there was just it, there wasn't there wasn't any I, i'm sure there were services someplace within the new york city police department at the time but yeah no one encouraged us to look into it no, yeah none of us no maybe people did that i didn't know about yeah most of the time when things happened and uh they would just like i said you would um kind of stick it down in your backpack and yeah, go for a few beers and then you come back for your next shift and it's a new day and a new day and let's start this all over again. Start this all over again, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't get me wrong, it was. I mean, there was some bad things down there, but it was a it was a really fun time working down there. Yeah, like I said, I really, really, really enjoyed it. If I was from there, obviously I would have stayed, but I was from home. All my family was here. Yeah, and I wanted to come home and we want to have kids. and We want to do all those things, but. um Anybody like I always, I'm very defensive of it. I, uh, I in yeah. the New York City Police Department. Yeah, I yeah, really yeah. Did, yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely. You yeah. should be right. There very, some yeah. you have fond memories of it. What it. about when you come back here, like back up to Massachusetts? You're working in Grafton, you're working in in other departments, and then you get on to Quincy. What about those type of calls that would have effect on you? Would you have felt come now? Now you're now into this present time, right? You're you're here. Was there would there be calls that you would been affected and say, "Oh my God, that like that. Oh, I yes. need I need a minute."
1: so I mean you everybody all the everywhere everywhere you go to motor vehicle accidents you go to all sorts of things you see more deaths all the time yeah. You go to sudden deaths all the time on a regular basis mm. uh, police officers every day mm. like and unfortunately you see like we get the notifications when there's a sudden death comes up on our on our phones and there's police officers going to those every single day and yeah. we go to them and you just you see the family you talk to the family you just kind of do the best you can for it but you're seeing these things sometimes it's a motor vehicle accident that can stick with you for a little bit Um mm. Probably when I was a sergeant, there was uh, a gentleman that got run over by. Uh, uh, he was in a wheelchair in a crosswalk Ugh. on Quincy Ave, and, and got run over by a drunk driver. And uh, we were there, and it, it, it was a, it was a tough it was a tough thing to see. Yeah. Um, with the guy and the and the and this is the guy had been arrested a few times already for drinking and driving, and uh, he w- he was arrested, but it didn't make it any better. This poor gentleman in the wheelchair never never made it home, and yeah, that, that stuck with me. That's only a few years ago, but it yeah. definitely. Uh, and the cops that were there with me that could not have done a better job. They, I mean, they were professional. They were they. They did what they had to do at the time. But afterwards, I, I try to talk. You know, he talks to them, and you know, they, we were all. It, it impacted all, you all of you. If if it doesn't, you're not human. Right. You have yeah. to, You know, and you try to put that big shield up. And now I'm, you know, what? I'm I'm the boss. I'm the supervisor. Like they're there, and like I'm supposed to be there for them too. Yeah. I didn't show it, but it it bothered me too. Yeah. Definitely, it's just tough on. Uh, yeah. And every police officer goes through this. It's not just it, you go on a daily basis. You go anywhere that. These guys have all seen stuff. And I don't care who you are as a police officer. You've seen stuff that, that's in, in your mind that you might not realize it's there, but it's definitely there. And you
3: shove it down shove it until sometime yeah. it might just surface and out you of don't know nowhere. Some, sometimes
1: they don't know when it's going to surface. It comes back up. Yeah. Like uh, I said, I I'm, I was a peer support officer. I was fortunate enough to be, um, a few years ago they uh, they asked, I was asked if I wanted to be a peer support officer. I kind of looked at it and was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if this, you know, but I did it. And I did it with the two people I did it with is uh, Lieutenant Panizellas from Quincy and Amory Riley, Detective Amory Riley. And they had two of the greatest people ever meet.
3: So tell us what you did with in the peer support. What de- what did you do to be able to support other officers? So you know what?
1: It's a variety of things that you yeah. go that you go through with. Um, as far as you see like a traumatic incident. Yeah. Someone would give you a heads up. One of the supervisors would call you and say, hey, listen, such and such had a bad night last night. You might probably want to reach out to him. Sometimes yeah. you reach out to them, something they want to talk to you, to say, like, you can call me, you can call Amory. Every My personality isn't for everybody. Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, they want, might want to go to anne or Matt Panazella, so things like uh, people. We all have three different, vastly different personalities. Yeah. And so it's whoever they're most comfortable Someone
3: with. Someone might make a connection with one and not right. the other.
1: And if there's others, we say there's other people you can come in and talk to. If you don't feel comfortable talking to us, you can talk to other people. But, you know, some people did talk to us, so we've had, you know, Active people and retired people who have talked to us and and um, hopefully we've we've helped them out. We've tried our best. Yeah. I mean we're not psychologists. We're not everything. We're just we're just the peer support. Peer people support there. have been there. Yeah, right? and just hoping like from our experiences that we could we could help them. Yeah. So, um, the, the chief is big on this. He's really big on the the, the peer support. And well, we, I know we talk about it a lot. So yes,
3: he is because actually when I contacted the chief, um. And I said to him, we'd love to have you in. I said, I've had some of your your officers in the cafe, right, um, come into Mar Riley's. And um, they'd say, they knew about the podcast, and say, we wish you would reach out to our chief, and our chief, he's great. You need to you need to reach him. He's all know, supportive of all of that. I don't know if he's great. Let's not push things along. <laughs> right. He's but, been supportive. <laughs> that, oh, I'm he's kidding. absolutely great. He's very supportive. He's into all this type of stuff. And when I did reach out to the chief, he said to me, I would, um, he said, well, thank you, Linda, for reaching out. But he he did say, um, you know, I would definitely um, refer that to my stress team. I rely heavily on them in that area. And um, so I would sort of have them come in and and meet with you. And uh, so he was putting all, all that good stuff, right, that saying all the good stuff that's happening within the department as far as mental health is sort of, He's given all his, his stress team credit for it. He wasn't taking any credit for himself, which impressed me. Um, But I said to him, well, all in fairness, chief. No. <laughs> all in fairness, chief. the the Those people that were bringing in said, oh, he's great. And he can bring the stress team in with you or whatever. But we want to have you too. And that's when he agreed. I sort of twisted his arm to sort of come in and, and talk with us, with, with everyone else. But they did say, you yeah, need to talk to our chief. He's He's awesome and he's very much into that stuff chief why don't you why don't you chat with us um like about you know your experience now you're in right just like what what bill was talking about you're in on your job and you're doing you know you're you know out of academy you're sort of getting yourself fi- finding your feelers right of of where you're going and what to you know what you're doing and then you're sort of on your job like have have you got experience like with those, like, as, as, as Bill said, I don't care. You are know, forced to ponder. You. You're seeing that shit, right? Sue's expression. But you're seeing that stuff. And um, so share with us, like, what you've experienced. Was there any of those calls that affected you? And how did you deal with it? Yeah. If uh, any.
2: It, it's, it's so funny because, uh, you know, I talk to, to police officers from all over the country at these different conferences and things. And it doesn't matter if you're in New York City or some, uh, you know, two officer town in Arkansas. Uh, yeah, we all experience the same things. We all uh, see, um, you know, people at their worst. I mean, uh, you know, uh, we've had a, a ringside uh, seat in human misery for 25 and 30 something years. Yes. Uh, respectively. And Yeah. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you are or what department or how big or how small you experience the same things. And, and when I first got on, much like uh, when Billy first got on in in New York, uh, in Quincy, it was sort of the same thing. You see something traumatic. It used to be a saying like Mesa or chase." You get in a fight, you get in a car chase, or you see something traumatic. You're going out for a few beers after work, and you know your, your sergeant, your lieutenant at the time, would cut you loose and you go out and have a couple of beers, and you know that'd be blow it, it off and like that'd, that'd be it, clear your head. And um, so it was. It's kind of funny from from my perspective because when I got into our special investigations unit, my partner was a uh, guy detective Rich Gilmore, who was one of the stress officers, and I really had no idea how much work. Our stress unit did until I was partnered with Rich Gilmore. And I can still recall many, many times his phone would ring and he'd be driving, I'd be in the passenger seat, and he'd pull to the side of the road and I knew that I had to get out. Didn't matter if it was five degrees out or 95 degrees out, I was standing outside while Richie was on the phone with whoever needed him or whoever was in crisis. Yeah. And I really saw firsthand how much work he did for members of the department. And I'd get back in the car, and not a word would be said, and would mm. pick up our conversation where we were. And I never knew who was on the phone or what they were dealing with. Um, and it's it's sort of funny. I was I was talking to Rich one day, and just talking, not generally about anybody, but just about mental health. And um, he told me a story from years before, where uh, you know an officer called him, and he was ranting and raving that his tomato plants died. And um, <laughs> so Richie says uh, he goes, "Okay, you know," and he. He goes, well, he says, yeah, this guy, he said, he, he called me, and he said, Rich, you told me I needed to get a hobby, you needed, I, I needed to do something, and uh, you told me, you know, uh, get into gardening, and I, I've been planting tomato plants, and I'm doing everything, and I'm reading the books, and I'm, I am I planted the seed, and I watered them, and I put the sticks in and tied them up, and I came home last night, and they're dead, and I'm losing me." So Rich, uh, he says, okay, so he says, I went up to the chief's office the next day, and this is years ago, uh, not, the, I'm not sure which chief it was, but it wasn't. The chief we just had, so yeah. it wasn't him. It was, yeah. you know, years and years ago. And, um, and he told the chief, uh, listen, uh, we're going to have to take so-and-so off the books for a little while. He said, whoa, whoa, what's going on? He said, well, he came home last night. His tomato plants were dead. You know, so <laughs> the, the chief looked at me, and he said, uh, he goes, yeah, we're, we're not putting a guy on admin leave because his, uh, his tomato plants are dead. And He goes, what are you, an asshole? You know, because wow. he had that type of attitude, and he could talk to anybody like that. Yeah. And he said, it's not the tomato plants. It's everything else he has in his life. And the tomato plants is the last, the straw that broke the camel's back, and he's got a lot going on in his life, and the tomato plants were the last thing. Yeah. And so that was sort of our, our thing, you know, every once in a while. If, if you're at your breaking point, and I've told my wife the story, and uh, she would say, uh, she would say I'm, I'm getting close to my tomato plants. <laughs>
3: so oh, I love that, that now, I love know, that. And I say, okay, all right, all right, you know, we'll back off.
2: But, yeah, but, uh, yeah Richie, so uh, I give a lot of credit to my view on employee assistance working two years with Rich Gilmore and the amount of good work he did and, um, and, uh, and still continues to do um, and really sort of raised the bar in the Quincy Police Department and um, how we treat and recognize people in distress and it really expanded the unit into, like uh, Billy said, when Billy got involved and uh, Matt Panazellis and, and Anne-Marie, yeah. um, they just do a great job. And, you know, they'll come to me now, um, and there's no questions asked. And I, I, what, I what I've tried to um, instill from my perspective in, in terms of being a police leader is um, they're not going to come to you if they don't trust you. Mm-hmm. And like Richie, people, sure. people trusted Richie, yeah. and h- you could rob a bank with him, he'd never say anything. But he knew people, and he knew how to get you the services to get you help. And nobody questioned him. The, you know, after, I think, probably the tomato plant story, they didn't question so him It was him like, in the yeah, office. And yeah. Richie, you know, if he, if, if he told you somebody needed help, that was it. No questions asked. And I think that's what we try and do now is instill, um, you know, hopefully people trust us because they're not going to come for help if they don't trust you. Yeah. And They have to know that um, we want the best for them. We want, you know, everybody – everybody um, you know there's a, there's a there's a saying that um, I- amateurs worry about the hardware and professionals worry about the software right you not I, as a as a police leader i you know yeah I, I want our people to have good and safe equipment, but I'm more concerned on the software, their mental health uh, their training their education their their building their resilience and things like that yeah and, um, I want our people to know that they can come to us for help they can come to somebody in peer support they could walk into my office and say they need help mm. uh, or call me as i said in the start of this my phone's always on to the display yes. of my wife yeah. um and you know a- and we've had those calls and we say okay make a call and get your services and nobody knows a thing about it yeah and um, that's sort of uh sort of where 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 we are now yeah and i, I hope to keep building on that yeah and, and keep uh, earning the trust of of the people that we work with so that we can continue to to help people when they need it yeah because as you know we said that they this profession um you know whether you're a, a police officer a firefighter a first responder emt you see people at their worst and you're uh, foolish to think it doesn't affect you yeah um, you know my wife now uh, she knows i'm cooking before i realize i'm cooking you know I'll come in and and you know and I, I walk in the door and I think I
3: love the way you said that she knows I'm cooking yeah, she knows I'm cooking and I, I don't love that and,
2: and I'll I'll come home mm. and um, you know I'll be in my mind I'm thinking okay I'm gonna you know I'll be extra engaging and play with the kids and this and that in the back of my mind something's bothering me and she'll say what's going on with you I say I'm fine she goes all right I guess we'll wait a day or two and then you'll finally tell me what happened and then mm. you know later on I'll uh, you know the kids go to bed and we'll sit there and talk and I'll tell her. But it's funny because she can pick it up in me when I think I'm covering it and masking it. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it's important to have somebody like that that you can bounce things off of. And yes. They, they know you.
3: Yes, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. I want to I want to go back into that, and I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit. I love that you have that support um, when you go home. And, yeah, and your wife knows when you're cooking even before you do, right? Um well, I I remember also another, you know, Justin, right, from Abington, right? Um we had a, a group like a panel of first responders in and um they were sort of sharing sort of their own experience after uh an, an incident that happened in their apartment. And um, you know, one of them had shared that, you know, we are, you know, there for people in their worst moment, right? In their worst moment. But uh, and if if those calls are affecting us, over we're shoving continually to shove those down in our backpack, right? You know, like a compactor, like a trash compactor. Eventually, a trash compactor is just going to explode, like overflow. Um, and there's only so much you can you can fill it with. So he he had said like the expression he used was, um, you know, we're there for so many people, but when we go home, you know, we try to leave our boots at the door, um. But mostly, a lot of the time, we're not there for the people who are very important to us. And uh, and that's our families. And um, for for whatever reason, like, so that, like, expression to me was, you know, I'm masking, you know, really what I'm feeling. And and maybe that's, like, a couple of hours of not interacting with my family when I go home, right? But a lot of spouses don't know how to handle that, Um you know, they know what's going on. They see behavioral changes, right? They, they know that you're cooking. And and all depending on the relationship, I suppose, or what has stemmed from that. Things can, you know, maybe the wife is, is oh, I've I've asked what's wrong before and I got yelled at, right? Right. Or, or, you know, don't be asking me that. Or she might say, you know, you need to go and get help. You need to talk to somebody about this. And the the responses are also possibly, you know, don't even say that. Just just shut them out, right? Don't talk about that because, um, you know, I need my job and I need to have a paycheck and and I need to. So I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I'm fine. It's just I need to get some sleep tonight, right? And a lot of the times things can get brushed off like that, and that's just like from and it's it's it's. I think it's normal, like for a first responder to have those feelings to. You know, to allow themselves to have a human right um, moment from the day of the shift, right, on the job, you're they're human, right? And you talked about like those car accidents, right, those critical incidents that they see every day. I mean, I'm I'm saying this for the for the listener who's listening, just like me, the Joe Soap, right, the ordinary citizen who's a civilian. And, you know, when I think of the impact of what you guys see every day out on the streets, um, if it was me and I stuck my head in a window, I think Jay used that thing, right, if I stuck my head in a window and saw uh, an accident that someone was dead in in a, in a car, right, just one, I don't think I'd ever be the same, right, I don't think I'd ever be the same again. Um, from witness that It would go over and over and over in my head And I would probably, definitely have to talk to somebody about this to, to work through it And here are you guys Like the men and women in departments And seeing it every day Fire, EMS, um, you know, police Every day Seeing, seeing the worst of the worst um, Stuff that's going on So yeah, it's just a matter of time You know, when those Symptoms of behaviors or behaviours Or things start to change you a changed person, right? From the time that you were that young rookie, right, to now in your careers and even though you're you're a chief chief. Um but the thing is that uh, it, it changes you. It changes you, for sure. And uh, I mean Jay, do you, you want to chime in?
0: Uh yes ma'am. Okay. So Very interesting what you're talking about right now. I have talked about that before where somebody, the way that we develop as first responders through the things that we're exposed to and and just through interactions with duty, right? Like if somebody worked in in retail and somebody fell and even just broke their leg, something very simple and relatively clean like that, that sort of becomes the highlight of their day, right? They go home, hey, what happened? Oh, you wouldn't believe it. Betty fell off the ladder and da-da-da and the big animated – and the longer a man or woman uh does a job that involves serving their community through first response uh, the less likely they are to discuss these things even even the very graphic ones uh and that's that's always been very interesting to me and that tomato story is one of the best illustrators yeah. i've ever i've ever heard and what a, a clearly tremendous uh mental health culturally competent iq on on that guy richie right because that's all this guy could say was tomato plants. Right. And and if we look back 20 years ago, nobody could even say that for reasons that probably make a lot of sense. That the resources weren't there, whatever did exist was was slim, and uh the culture hadn't accepted it. Again for reasons that make sense like well that's the job. If I can't if 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 this is bothering me, then what? We didn't understand that you could reach out, get well, and not just continue on with your career, but be better at it, you know, and and, and uh, we are called to service oftentimes, and then you're able to be of service to your peers, your coworkers, your superiors and your subordinates. Um, I'm wondering uh, if either one of you gentlemen can comment on, like, where if there was a time where you began to see that transition, right? Like in the beginning of your career, You have an incident that that happens, and like, no, we didn't talk about it, right? And then eventually, you're working on the stress team. So at some point, there's a transition in the conversation, and I guess I'm wondering uh, what you recollect when you think about that, and maybe how either one of your own views have changed over time.
2: Yeah, if I start with this, uh, just sort of for me, uh, working those two years with Rich and seeing firsthand what peer support actually does and how busy he was mm. um, I would have had no idea and okay. I don't think anybody in the department had any idea um, unless you worked with him uh, yeah. or you were or you were talking to him yeah. you know uh, and he was steering you towards um, help so it was incredibly important for me when I made sergeant I was 29 when I made sergeant 28, but 20, probably 29 and I was I was a younger obviously one of the younger sergeants on the department at the time and um, you know working with people and would go to some you know horrific call Mm -hmm. and it was nice to know that i would call rich the next day and say hey could you check in on you know so and so we went to this last night a check-in and other um, sergeants started doing the same thing we had a big sort of a sea change around the time i got uh, promoted because a lot of people retired and i I think they they promoted like 11 lieutenants and uh you know 15 sergeants or whatever it was but it was a, a dramatic number of people that were getting promoted on at one day and swearing in and i think we all kind of came into it together and we're like hey we're recognizing at this time that there is this resource out there and we can get people help um you know and i think the best way to be a leader is to see the department through the eyes of the rank and file officers who are doing the job and at that point where so many were patrol officers the day before and now getting promoted to sergeant they were doing the job and they recognized uh at that point that there is resources for people so i think um we started seeing a lot more um after a traumatic call or something or recognizing somebody might be in a little bit of distress or might need a little help yeah um to reach out to, to richie and Say hey, could you at least check in with them? And we had another another stress officer, Mark Folan, who's who's uh, just a super. Can't say enough about him. We've mm. been so blessed to have some really great employee assistants and stress officers in Quincy. And and Mark's another guy that um, you know wore his heart on his sleeve and, and still does, and it, and would do anything to help someone mm. and would do it quietly, and no one would know. But you know, you'd call you'd call Mark or you'd call Richie and say, could you check in? And mm. and you s- we started seeing more and more of that, which was great. Mm. So.
3: Why do you? Sorry. Why do you? Why is this so important for you, Chief? Um, to, you know, to continue on that, like when you worked with Rich, um, why is it so important for you to continue on that and grow that within your department now?
2: Uh, well, I mean, just to, because, like I said, we're, we're I'm I'm really focused and committed on on um my people's well being. Right, yeah. the office's well-being. I, I yeah. think I've 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 said it before, but my my management philosophy is is philosophy is really simple. It's take care of the people that I work with and be accountable to the people that I work for. And you know, the, the grounding um, the tenant is taking care of the people that I work with. And you know, not only they you know, whatever I can do for them, like I said, for the hardware, but more importantly, when we took over, it was it was about the software, getting them training. Um, if there was something that, you know, prof- the, the saying professional development prevents burnout, right? Yeah. Get them training. If you're interested in doing something, let us know if we can get you into a training that, uh, not only, uh, enhances your, uh, professional well-being, but if it, um, if it enhances the, s- the city's ability to, and the city's, uh, uh, makes you a better cop and, and the city gets some benefit out of it. Mm. Um, and you know, that was, that was a big thing for, for me to yeah. really work on people's emotional well-being and, their, and their, their sense of security. Like, there was one thing uh, when we when we first took over was um, one of the lessons from Hurricane Katrina, right? If you're worried about your family at home, you're not going to be able to do your job. Yeah. Um, and, you know, something as simple as sick time. You know, you're allowed to use sick time for yourself, but you can't use it to care for a family member if something happens or an excused, you know, a, an excused sick day. Yeah. So something as simple as we, we discussed it, uh, between myself and uh, Billy and uh, our ex- executive officer, Captain Dan Garenti, who's another great guy, and he's all about the the, the people. Um, we said, you know what? W- you can use an excuse sick day. You know, we get, I think it was two or three. Billy, two or th- two 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 excuse sick days a year to care for a family member. Like if 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 my kid's home throwing up, uh, I'm not coming to work. I don't yeah. care what you call it, but I'm not going to be there. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, uh, you God forbid, something else more serious, or your wife, or yeah, or, or, or husband, or whatever. Um, so, just letting people know that we're there to, to to help, and we care about you, we care about your family, mm. and um, and I think it's a great thing. Like we talked before the the recording started about uh, what you folks are doing to to really push that out to. First responders and more importantly their families. Yes, on how to get help.
3: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we we, we can talk about that about families, yeah, right? That'd be great. Um, you know, families. Um, uh, we we had a little bit of a conversation about where we at because this is my first time meeting meeting Chief uh, Kennedy in, in person. So I sort of wanted to let him know where my heart is at and where Jay is at, right? Um, why we're doing this and our why, right? And a big part of it for um. For me, as a, a first responder family, as a suicide loss survivor of a of a police officer, um, was that that missing part that was missing, that was definitely missing in in our lives. And and I, I had said to you, God, if I had known five years ago what I know now, you know, I probably would have been able to interact with Alex right, um, differently, very much differently, and be able to guide him differently and help him differently, and. Probably guide him to get the support and the resources um, out there. That's for first responders that maybe he didn't even know about, right? Because even five years ago, I don't think it was talked about in, like in departments um, as much. Um, then, especially I know in in Abington at the time. Um, so yeah, I mean it's something that's close to me, and I want to be able to help other families be ready, right? So that's why we call it the Hope Ready, like the Family Readiness Workshop. Get you you're ready, like and prepared families to. Watch out for those red flags. Just like what you said about your wife, right? She knows when I'm cooking, and uh, and that's like sort of she knows that red flag. Oh, what's wrong? What's and to ask you that question. Um, So yeah, like preparing families to to be ready for um, for whatever for whatever is needed, whether it be he's, he's just struggling or he's isolating, but also be able to interact. Like be trained and be aware of how to be able to interact with a first responder who might might possibly be struggling. Or or even reach out to someone to say I'm having a hard time. Like where can I go? And so we're having a family readiness workshop um in on March ninth, right, Jay? And um it's going to be uh for families, but a lot of organisations we're going to open up. We're um hosting it, so to speak. The AGK Memorial Fund and Hope Beyond the Badges is hosting the event, but we have a lot of different organisations coming in. Um and they're going to have their tables all set up and um we'll have hopefully we'll have lots of first responders and families all attend and and it would be worthwhile for them to attend right to get them involved in the departments um with our first responders so they know what's going on and watch out for those red flags um be aware of that. There are these resources. We have a lot of modalities coming in. We have equine therapy and mindfulness coaches coming in and trauma therapists um, to be able to speak on it. metro um, who are like peer support group in this local area, um, to be able to talk about what they do to help first responders in the time of the struggle. I'm sure their wives or spouses right, don't know about any of this type of stuff if a first responder is not talking about it, right? Um, so we want to connect those families to... Um, the resources, right, and and for them to go home with a packet that night with those phone numbers in their hand, so that if they might not need it then that night, right, when they're leaving, but if that backpack overflows, of their first responder they have a phone number to be able to there right there and then, so they're not stressful. So we have a lot of great organisations um, supporting us on that and giving us their blessings. They had said it's missing this part of it for families is missing and it's needed. So, um, and that's something that I felt very, very strongly about putting out there of educating families. And I said earlier on, you know, that, that mom and dad from Iowa, um, who had a kick-ass daughter as a firefighter, um, they didn't even know what PTSD meant and uh, and they didn't understand it. They just know that their, their, their daughter was a great firefighter and, um, and they wished they had it being sort of pre-briefed, right? Um, before all this happens so that they would be aware of it. And that's sort of my inspiration and, and, and our own family's experience. Um why we wanna we feel it's very important to bring that together. So we are going to do that. It's happening March 9th, local in Weymouth, right? Sacred Heart Church. And um, you know, the we hope they get that word out there and hope that you can help us put that out in your department too and have a lot of um people come and uh and get information, right? Um and that's what it is. Information that you can use as a tool to be able to help you in time of need. Um yeah, so yeah, that you're prepared. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um so Chief, yes. why did you want to become chief? Like what, what made you want to <laughs> he's laughing. Bill, Bill is laughing, like he's like turning his head away, he's laughing. Like I, I asked Chief Del Papa why? Like why did you want to become a chief? What did you feel that you were able to go and to bring to the department that would make a difference? Um, but tell us like why 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 apply or why why yeah, put yourself mys- out there i
2: asked myself that a lot uh, <laughs> i i uh i had a i had a great job as a lieutenant i was uh, like i said in charge of our special operations i was riding a motorcycle up until uh 2 days before i uh was sworn in as chief and wow. uh, you know running the SWAT team and the negotiators and uh and but in all seriousness it was we have um we have a deep bench in quincy there was a lot of talent uh, we, we Five candidates that went for the, the chief's job uh, one captain and four lieutenants. Um, and, uh, you know, I would have worked for really any of them. Uh, all, uh, they were all guys, so uh, males. Uh, yeah. They, uh, you know, five, uh, well, four, I don't know if I count myself. Uh, great, <laughs> great guys <laughs> and great uh, candidates, and some, um, you know, uh, leaders in, in the military and in, 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 uh, in the police world. Um, and it just, you know, we had an assessment center, and uh, it was something that I knew um, if I got the job, I knew I would uh, I'd do it well, and I knew that uh, my intentions were pure, and I, oh, I saw some things that, to, uh, that I, I knew we could do to, again, we have a great department, and the former chief, Paul Keenan, did a great job. He was there, I think, 16 years uh, as chief, um, and really did a lot of things to move the department forward. And I just I felt I could not only continue on a lot of the programs that he had, uh, but sort of implement some of our own and, and keep pushing uh, the department forward. And um, so I, however, I I uh, I sold it to the assessors on uh, at the assessment center some of uh, the ideas that I had, and um, I I was fortunate to come out on top in the assessment center, and uh, very fortunate um, the the mayor of Quincy tom coke is a is a huge uh supporter of public safety Mm -hmm. and i could tell you that uh that definitely made the job more attractive because uh he is uh he's an incredible uh, leader um and to work for someone like him i I, you know felt would be a real privilege and uh, in the short six months I'm, i'm already learning a tremendous amount um but there are times where I'll talk to his chief of staff after a particularly bad day and say, uh, "You know, you guys used to pay me to ride a motorcycle, right?"
3: I want to go back the there. <laughs> yeah, I, can I go back yeah. to riding a motorcycle? Um, <laughs>
2: but no, I'm I'm incredibly honored to have uh, the job, and I I tell people I I literally have the easiest job in the department. Um, you know, the 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 men and women of the department are the ones out there answering calls and yeah. conducting investigations and executing search warrants and. Uh, my job is to just make sure they have the tools and the training and the technology uh, to do their job and do it well and live within my budget. So I'm learning how to manage the budget and deal with some HR issues. And, uh, again, I have uh, an unbelievable uh, command staff that I'm blessed with, all uh, my unit commanders and patrol uh, commanders, and everybody is – is really stepping up and making my job pretty easy, so I'm, uh, I'm yep. very blessed. So so you're surrounding yourself
3: for a good team, right?
2: Surround uh, with some really great, incredible people. Uh, the younger officers have been fantastic, <laughs> and he's uh, smiling at you. R- uh, he's mad because he had a great job. He was the night detective lieutenant, and uh, <laughs> and then I, I I pulled him up with me, so he went from uh, one of the best jobs in the department to to arguably one of the most challenging. Um, and uh, but he's uh, he's great at it, and He's the perfect guy for internal affairs because he he's uh, he's fair, um, he's trustworthy, and uh, you know we're, we're not out to hurt people. Yeah. Um, but we uh, we take maintaining the integrity of the Quincy Police Department incredibly seriously, mm-hmm. uh, and you know it's that whole uh, we expect people to to act uh, with um, a certain level of of empathy and compassion and to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, you know, do the right thing when no one's looking. Yeah. Uh, you know, integrity, right? Yeah.
3: Like as if no one was looking, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And uh and if you don't, then, you know, that uh, I won't say it, that whole screw around and find out. We're not looking to hurt anybody and I think people know that and yeah. I think they know we can be trusted but yeah. um but again, we're, we're going to maintain the integrity and the discipline of the Quincy Police Department, and I think people appreciate that.
3: Right, absolutely. I, I, I say that to my staff too, right, because I'm the owner here, right, and so I run this department here, my own department here. And I always say that, you know, you know nothing is to be compromised, right, no compromising um, on what we, we are putting out there um, and should never be, even when I'm not here in the building right or not around you so even like no one is looking it should never be compromised so i get that right and that and that's like coming from my my heart saying that so i appreciate that um i want to get into uh, just a little bit about um like where you are now right in in your department is there plans like what's your plans for Whatever the next, how you do your planning, like the next five years, right, or year, or the next five years, as far as like where you're going. I mean, we're we're hoping on the badge, right, about mental health, right, and in first response. What would you think that would be if there was something that's not there yet, but it would be a great idea to bring in that would be helping first responders to be able to. (sighs) It's not to like not not saying don't give a damn about what other people think, but I need to get I need to look after my health right my mental wellness is just as imp- well you know physical importance is very important but the mental health and wellness is is extremely important as a police officer right as a first responder what would what would be your ideas like to you know what you would like to to see maybe other departments that you've witnessed or other chiefs that when you go to those chief conferences that someone is doing and it seems to be working well that you might, might want to bring into the department. Is there any of those types of things?
2: Yeah, so we're, we're really at an exciting point in, in the, the history of the Quincy Police Department and the future of the department where uh, and under construction of a, a brand-new building. Oh, wow. That's uh, going to be right behind the station. It's going to be a, a state-of-the-art uh, public safety headquarters with uh, the police, uh, inspectional services, and the fire um Command staff will be in there, not not uh, actual apparatus, but um, you know the chief's office and things like that. Fire, fire yep. alarm and things. Um, I- but one of the things in there is what we're, we're talking about. You know that a lot of our our building now is is antiquated, uh, and one of the things that that I would like to look into is the um, the exercise time. You know we have a, a younger department, um, and you know there's there's a, a, a couple officers, um, uh, Sergeant McCormick, and uh, they do a lot of uh, Puts out a lot of um, physical fitness events for people to get people. Uh,
3: I love all of that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh,
2: so I'm, I'm hoping with the, the new gym we get some, uh, I don't know if, if the gym equipment has been budgeted or we might uh have to shake down the Gronk Foundation or something for some equipment. Yeah, yeah, get
3: some donations uh, in there, yeah, right? Get so someone. So you hear that, loud listeners? They're looking for some gym equipment in yeah, Quincy. i reach,
2: reach out to Gronk for me. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, s- things like that, uh, uh, encouraging more people to get involved in, like, they're going to be doing the fit Challenge at, at the TD Garden. Yeah. And, uh, I did it last year with, with um, the Quincy Police Team and. Um, I was hoping to do it again this year, and I, I, I had an accident and broke my foot back in August, so I'm I'm still dealing with that, so I won't be climbing the stairs, stairs uh, yeah. of, of the garden this year, but um, it's actually like I was showing my age. I was saying the other day, I am like, oh, yeah, we, we go to the Fleet Center, and we, we, we climb the uh, stairs, and the young guys <laughs> just look at you like, what are you talking about? Where's the <laughs> Fleet Center? yeah. i so many different <laughs> things. But yeah. Uh, but, no, th- things like that that, that a, a lot of the officers are getting in, and it's not just the younger officers. Some of the... Uh, some of the, the, the older, most, I can't say older, seasoned offices are, are getting involved in, you know, whether it's the, the Marshfield, uh St. Patrick's Day 5K. We did that last year. And just some of these events, the Boston Fire, <coughs> excuse me, Boston Fire uh, Road Race and just different races that the, the QPD runners now are, are starting to get involved in. And yeah. um, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. So just supporting that uh, and then work, looking into, in the future, maybe providing offices some time on shift that, you know, they could go in and use the gym, um, and, you know, that's... It's uh, important. It's important. You yeah, know, to blow for off sure. Some, blow off some steam, and, you know, maybe it gets to a point where, uh, you know, hey, you have a traumatic call, you want to talk, or this or that, and instead of saying, you know, go for a bear after work, or, hey, why don't you go up to the Let's gym? Let's go run to the gym. To the gym and take a walk for a while. Or yeah. Or go on the treadmill. And, uh, you know, just something to... The, 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 the healthy healthy way to burn off some stress. Yeah, absolutely.
3: I, I'm... I w- very weird that brain tree, brain tree, P- PD, um, do that. Um, when I remember one of the guys, they all come over here, and he was like, you know, when the chief came on, he was like, use the gym on your shift. Like, I'm like, what? Oh, you? So we allowed them to use the gym on the shift, and that was like, wow, like that was not heard of, and they were just like blown away. I um, mean, makes so much sense to have an officer. Do a cardio or do whatever that you wanted to do to be able to blow off some steam in a very very healthy way, right? Of a, it's a healthy coping mechanism, sure. um, to be able to deal with some stress of the job, right? And also like we've heard, um, some like one of the training, one of the trainers that were coming in, like Joe Willis, right? Um, from First Help, he goes out and does a lot of resilience trainings in departments all over the country a uh, great guy where he was like, you know, if there's some guys on departments that are, like, expressing that they want to do something in personal training, well, then put the $600 out and get them that tra- personal training certificate and be able to sort of do something within the department that's healthy, right? right? And help others within there do some personal training with them. All those type of things are absolutely wonderful stuff um, to be able to 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 help out. And what about, like, um, you know, I was I was wondering if there was someone that was um you know when you think about yourself as as a you know chief right in command of your department and um an officer saying i would be comfortable knocking on your door uh, and saying i'm i'm struggling or or your door and struggling and uh, i i've said it to to a couple of chiefs you know as as that person or that police officer ...or fire um, guy... ...if a guy... ...another patrolman... Just, ...I'm just saying patrolman... ...another guy out on the streets... ...and he sees someone... ...and noticed someone who was struggling before... ...and then all of a sudden... ...you know, after a little while... ...he seems to be well... ...like better... ...and... um, ...and he's watching... ...and he knows that this guy went and got help... ...and he asked someone in the department... ...and he's going to have that belief... ...like that trust... ...that if he's struggling um with something with mental health issues that if he needs to go get help, he's gonna get he's gonna believe he's gonna get the same. But there's also the other side of flip side of it where there's departments, there's some great departments that like yourself that are doing also great things and being, you know, thinking ahead what we want to do at the gym, right? Exercise is a huge part of mental wellness. Huge. And um so on the other side of that, there's the there's the officer who might have gone and gone and said, I'm struggling. I'm really bad. And and goes and seeks maybe help, but maybe was ridiculed or does retribution in, in that thing. The other guy looking on sees that and is going, ah, I'm not going to get help because guess what? I'm going to get the same. And I need my job and I need my, pay and I don't want to be, have all my stuff all over the place here. So you know what? It's staying where it is. It's it's staying in that backpack but I'm just going to struggle through it. And then he's, you when know, you think about that guy that's looking on and is not going to seek help because why he's witnessed um, from a previous person, um, he's out there, you know, in the community, serving, you know, his town, his community, in the department. And how present is he while he's doing that if his head is elsewhere and he's struggling? So it's a beneficial for the department. And I'm saying that in benefit for any department that's listening in. It's a benefit for a department to make sure that um, there's wellness, um, you know, coming from the top down, um, right to the, and that those responders know, those first responders and police officers know I can go and get help and I can trust, you know. Can, do you want to chime in on that, Billy? So this,
1: sometimes it, um, people, I didn't realize how much the, the stress unit did, yeah. until I get on there and I yeah and it blew me away. I when when we sat down and we started talking about like what, what we could do and what we could do, what we could say to people and we always someone always give tips us off. Hey listen, we always hear from another officer or supervisor or things like that. But once they refer us um something to, to us, we never report back to them. So they'll never know what was done. Yeah. So it's tough. So but we do every person that they that comes across the name comes across as we do address it we try to you know maybe my personality doesn't suit that that person yeah 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 but there's three of us and yeah. there's also the boston stress unit and yeah. there's metro and things like that but we tried there's a lot of people who still we tra- are you okay can i talk to you can i meet you for a cup of coffee can then we do that and mm. some people we have some people who are very receptive mm. and then we have still have those people that they're afraid they're afraid. They're yeah. afraid, and I get it. And there's, you know, and it's just we're trying to break through that. And we know that there's bi- there's a lot of people that that have come to us and we will be able to get the help. And once mm. they and they want to get the help, but they're not going to come back and say, "Oh, I." Most of the ninety nine percent of the time, they're not going to say, "Oh, I went to the stress room and got help." They want to keep it confidential, and mm. I don't, I don't blame them. You know, that's yeah. their business, and they can stay and they stay to it. But um, we try to get out there and we try to we try to interact with them. Um, like obviously, I don't do it anymore, and yeah. I do miss it. But yeah. when I was on patrol, I didn't. Uh, I guess the first time that I really realized is when ba- I became a sergeant. And you look, you see, and like, oh, you, you're back in patrol and you see what these guys are doing day in and day out. And you can see guys, you know, taking a lot of sick time. Um, yeah. That's, that's a, you know, there's been red flags you see common. the people, yeah. very, very common. One of the things that they, you start watching their sick and you're like, oh, and you're, hey, can I talk to you? Hey, are you okay? And some people, sometimes it takes people to hit, get low, hit rock bottom as far as I'm out of sick time. I don't have things like that. And then they'll come to you for help. Um, we try to speak with them and sometimes maybe if I don't, sp- if I, I'll send someone else to go s- talk to them and say, Hey, can I help you? What can yeah. I do What I could do, for you? we have services and we tell them the service and we tell them that, that you know, they can com- be completely anonymous. No, once they leave us, we'll send them to somebody else and we'll never know what happened. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's an ongoing battle though, to get people to, to speak and people to address mental health, as we all know, because yeah. there still is th- th- there, let's be honest, there is a stigma with it and, 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 and then. And you, and you try to break down those barriers, but it's not always easy. So we're, we're trying our hardest. Um, like we said, we're not psychologists. We're just yeah. people with lifetime experience who, who yeah. want want to help. help. Um, I, I don't know what more we can do, we, but we're going to keep working like, as far as we're going to try to find the more services. Like you've told us tonight about the services that, that you guys had, um, that, that place um, –
3: on-site academy
1: on-site academy I had never <laughs> heard prior to coming here today we I had no idea about the on-site academy I don't uh, I had never heard about it before but I think that's a great option if people can and go and do that mm-hmm. and it stays anonymous
3: yeah
0: absolutely. It, it absolutely does for, for sure that's such an important piece right huge piece everybody it, huge piece yeah yeah and um I think you're making so many valid points about the way the process works I think it's really important for someone that's going to reach out for help to know that it's anonymous, right? And, and like, you know, once you refer them out, it doesn't even come back. And the rank and file may not ever know the particulars, but they do notice the mental and emotional well-beings of their coworkers, even if they don't label it like that, right? We notice sick time. People start getting, you know, they'll catch labels if they're using too much, all that. And we notice um, when someone's carrying tension and stress and they're overreacting and everything's setting them off, and then we notice those... Cool, calm heads, and I know that a lot of times when someone, when a first responder uh, goes and gets treatment, even if you don't know that's what happened, sometimes you can notice a change just in their baseline state of being, and it's like, what is going on with this person? Man, they're doing, they're doing good, and I think that yeah. when that's recognized, uh, that's beneficial to attacking that stigma. Right? It's beneficial to get in the culture to accept. Not only is it okay uh, to go deal with this, I'm a human being, I'm, I'm stuck with the human condition, something's bothering me, whether I want to admit it or not, I can go get help and, and then I can go on and continue with my career. And I guess that leads me to kind of a, a two-part question. Is that what you see most times, is a return, a successful return to duty when someone goes out for help? And the second part is, what is, what is stigma? Like, what is what is what is it? What does that mean to you guys?
1: Well, the stigma, obviously, is like, they, you know, we're supposed to be, you're supposed to come out of the academy, and we're the toughest people in the world, and we can do everything, and nothing's going to bother us. And that stigma is like, if you ask for help, it's people think, like, oh, yeah, this guy's not, he can't deal with it, he can't do the job, he can't do this. Yeah,
0: it's like a negative, a negative association, right?
1: It's a negative association, and it, and it's tough to break that down. But there mm-hmm. are some people that who go and get help and they come back and they're they rejuvenated. But it's not all it's not all just the calls that you go on. It's every it's everything. It's it's like it's like you said before, it's your dumpster starts to get full. But um, you know, the all the all the marches and the anti police thing and, and yes. that, that bothers like you go to work every yes. day and it goes in that to listen every the media, um courts. Yep. It's just a little drop in the bucket every single time. You don't realize it's only a drop in the bucket. It's only a drop in the bucket until your bucket is completely full. Mm. And, then, and then you can't deal with it anymore. Yeah. Then like just the tomato plants. That's what it is. It's the absolute it's the tomato, tomato plants thing. And you, can't, and, and you can't deal with it anymore. You see someone go to a call and they just start screaming at somebody for no reason. Yeah. There's a red flag goes up right there. You're like, yeah. oh, there's, there's something way more going on with this guy than yeah. the meets the eye.
3: Yeah, especially when when that person was not always not that, that way, person. right? You notice those behavioral changes, just like the way the spouse when they go home, they're noticing those behavioral changes, but they don't know how to handle it, right? And and then how so do you so approach we'll say it? Something's cooking. That's what we Something's what cooking. cooking. <laughs> so something cooking right there. Yeah, you know. I remember. You know. Um, you know there's there's just so much to that like to to that context that, yes it, stigma is still there there's a lot happening and there is change happening with the likes of you a younger chief coming in and new ideas and new ways to approach the mental health um and we need to face it we need to really embrace this as a society that you know the, you are in a, a trauma job right and that's your job so let's face it, let's put those resources out there for the first responders who need it and and let's make it a normal. You know, I think someone said to to us before, you know, don't just bring a program in to check off the the checkbox, right? To check off that mark. A program in one time or whatever year. Let's make it a normal within the department, an ongoing thing that we're doing these things to say to have the the go those patrol guys out on the streets saying they actually believe, they believe it, and feel it from the department to the administration that this is the way it's going, this is the change that's happening, and let them foster into that, you know. And there is the old, as what they call the old crusty guy, you know what I mean? There is those old crusty guys too that were like, yeah, no, shove it down, da, da, da. come on, let's go, we need to be ready for that for that next call. But, um, but there is an opportunity to for them to heal too because they're also going to struggle with when they get off you know, the job or they might not but more than likely they're going to have a hard time um, because they've shoved all that down and haven't dealt with all the, that long career and we do want those new police officers that are coming on, those new recruits and even the guys that are five years we want them to be able to sustain a long career and t- retire healthy right and be able to live their life after this career not to, to struggle Five years after five is in because they've been pack, 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 packing that down all along. We want them to be able to with stay in a long career. And and as you said earlier on, there's a lot of times that first responders do not go and get help until it's like they're rock bottom, right? right. Until it's a crisis situation. And well, that's, that's when yeah. you see it.
1: That's when you see it. Like yeah. so, the average age of a police officer that retires right now is 12 years. Usually 12 years, and that's the lifespan after you retire, which is terrible. It's 12 nasty. years. 12 years is the average. 12 years is the average. So we, (laughs) now we've, uh, myself, the chief, uh, Captain Garenti. we've talked about now having, maybe getting a program together about for the retired guys, the guys prior to retiring. Absolutely. To get get something um, before they retire. Yeah. I've got this actually, one of the wives of the, uh, one of our retired guys called me up and this was her idea. This wasn't our idea. She said, Mm. you you need to do something to prepare these guys for retirement because they're coming out, out of, like the guy said to me, I met, I talked to one of the retired guys. I said, "Do you really miss it?" He said, uh, I, "I don't miss the circus, but I miss the clowns." And yes, that's exactly. He just like being in the locker room, making fun of each other, doing all those things every day. And he said he just misses being around.
3: And then what next? Yeah, yeah. Right. And, well, and what am I going to do you now?
1: Can come back and do details, but it's, He said it's not the same. Yes, not, you're not one of the guys anymore. You're a retired guy. Absolutely. And so we'd like to get something in place to, to like to talk to people, prepare people, maybe prior to retiring a year or two before like financial you know emotional what do you a plan for them what are you going to do bring people in to say you know how are you going to do this
3: we're also on that family that we're also going to have advanced uh, financial um services there um and that family that's like, an
1: important piece because you don't want to <laughs> retire and then all of a sudden you're making 72 percent of what you were making you're not yeah. making working as much and yeah you feel the crisis and then that, yeah. that impacts your family, then it just, everything yeah. starts to cave in on Yeah,
3: you. even for first responders who are going through a struggle, right? The, if they're struggling and they're at rock bottom, the last thing they're thinking of is paying that car payment, right? And and they get themselves into debt, right? And they don't know how to get out of it now. Everything is so overwhelming. And so that's sort of something that we wanted to bring in to what we're doing with our family readiness night is someone that's going to be able to help provide services to a first responder and get them back on track like getting them out of that debt and helping them work out a plan and looking at their finances with them and helping them set those small little goals that lead to big goals right and getting them out of that situation and that relieves you know You'll get to see a lot of shoulders, yeah. like, dropping, right, um, with detention. Is
1: huge, financial is a huge part of it. You get on the job, and you're going to get that big car, because you're going to say, I'm going to work That big $800 thing. truck. I'm going to work that one extra detail a week, one extra detail. My son said it to me. He's like, oh, I'm going to get this. It's only one detail a week. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Not going down that road. Yeah. And that's, um, but you know what? That's what you think, because you're making a, a good paycheck, and then yeah. you can... If You work three de- details a week, you're making good money. Yeah. But what happens when the details slow down? What happens yeah. when you get married and then have a child and then you have to watch the child during the day and you and can still the have the
3: that eight hundred dollar car payment. payment. And now now what? And now right. you're
1: upside down in your car. Or you yeah. buy a house that's too big. We've we've all seen that and yeah. like so financial things there's a huge piece. Yeah. Would um
3: yeah. and
1: none of us no one told us like what to do and how to do it. Ah kid, just work on extra details to suck it up.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, the, the financial wellness is a huge part of the mental wellness, right, also, um, for sure. And I think that also when you were talking about those retirees, I know you can you you hit on that a little bit, time, so I know that you're big on that, um, and the retirees, but when they when, you know, they get into retire, right, and um, they've put so much of their life into the career and the uniform and the badge and serving that community, right? And and that's their identity.
1: Some guys, some guys, it's identity, and that's a problem. That's a huge problem. If you identify always as a police officer, 24, I mean, you need to have your two separate lives. Yeah. You have to have your, your home life and your work life. You're going to miss it, but you should prepare yourself for it. Yeah. But it's easier said than done. Yeah, well, not, yeah, it's hard. Ta- someone doesn't tell you how to do it. Someone told us how to be police officers. They didn't tell us how to be retired. That's the whole thing. We Someone has to tell us how to do it.
3: There are all the things that are also important that affects the mental health of a first responder. I don't know what to do next. Where do I belong? Right, where where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? And 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 that's a huge part of it. And again, like if if a guy's retiring after twelve years, if you you give those numbers right? If he's retiring after twelve years on on a. on a
1: how 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 healthy? Would you get five years? It shouldn't be that. It should be twenty. You, should, you know, after ten years, you start beating the pension. We want guys to get to twenty and twenty-five years. Yeah,
3: so that's why we want those guys to have with staying like actually love going into the job, right, every day and, and saying, I have a department that's supporting me, right, in whatever trials and tribulations are going to come uh, within that career, right? We're going to get in there and uh, other than, uh, like, the disciplinary stuff, like uh, any other job, right, if you're not doing your job well, you're, there's going to be discipline, out of it. But I'm talking about mental wellness, right, and mental health, where they, you know, are going to feel supported and, and be part of And with, with staying... Uh, a very very long career, a healthy long career, and be promoted. I also feel, you know, I I'd love to hear your 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 take on um like promotions, right? In in first responders, you can. I don't know what's the next step from a patrol is a sergeant, patrolman, sergeant, sergeant, Lieutenant, captain. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what's your take on um like with each promotion? Um, I believe. That everyone that's going to uh, in a promotion that they're actually, you know, having someone underneath them, right? They're, they're a supervisor of, um, should also go into that level of training and mental health. There should be a mental health training for each level of that, like for captains, chiefs, everything. Um, to deal with resilience, be aware and watch out for those signs. Um, as a sergeant where you're a supervisor, I also feel that there definitely should be some mental health training where they have to take an exam, right? There's exams and all of those type of things, I believe. Take a mental health and training and exam and so that you're ready um, to be able to support who, who you're supervising.
1: Um, that, that's a good that's a good point so we take yeah. the civil service tests uh like the chief said before like chief the chief made um was a chief was a sergeant at a young age 20 29 you said yeah so uh, i i didn't do it until later in my career and um but it, it is just like you you are thrust upon it there is nothing there right now per se but you'll you're you relying i guess your life experience um, yeah but when you came on there you all of a sudden one day you're your patrolman and then they tell you the next day, okay, you're in charge of 15 guys on the street, and you're uh, you're the boss. Yeah, and it's a life changing thing. It was yeah. Be- I'll tell you right now, it was the best. Being a street sergeant was far and away of all the jobs I've ever had was the best job I ever had. Well wow. I um. I had, Do
3: you hear that, chief? He was saying he, wanted, he, wasn't, he, he, he was ahead. he wasn't the chief <laughs> then. <laughs> no, I real I I
1: really really enjoyed it. Um, there was a bunch of young guys and girls uh that w- that worked um for me and. They could not have been better, and they kept they kept me young. They really did. They kept me, and they were a young yeah. group. Now they probably, this group that came out, there was probably most of them had, um, they probably have four or five years in the job. There were some older guys, and they've moved on, and a couple of them retired, but I was very lucky to have a very young shift, and I, I very much enjoyed it. But as far as mental health, I just relied on my own, just my life experience. But I understand what you're saying. There should yeah. be something. We should be, take a class about, hey, listen, yeah. to watch out for others and to yeah. see how we can help these guys' mental health and I think it would yeah. be beneficial. I think it's a great idea.
3: Yeah, I think, I, I, I firmly really believe in that. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with having that extra education, right? No, about true. the mental wellness and yeah, say, okay, what's mental health and whatever, and I, you know, you talk about if someone's having a hard time or whatever. But if you have that little experience, taking a class, right, under your belt, now you're going to be even more aware of what's going on around you with others, right, with others around you, and um, and possibly be able to help someone so that it doesn't end up into a crisis so or someone in, end up
1: taking a life. You're in a position right now to help. So when you, you make supervise, you are in that position where you see something that you you should act on it. You should follow up on it. Either you address them yourself, quietly, yeah. off to the side, no, yeah. one, no one else is around, can or yeah. you, or... Um, you have the stress people talk to them. Yeah. And that's just um it's just the way it works. But yeah. I think that um you need to be aware. You need yeah. to be aware of the people who work for you because you know what, we have a really young, great department. Yeah. We really do and we're very, very fortunate. Um there's like I said, this new role I have isn't the most desirable. Yeah. I get to work with Mark and uh, and uh, Danny Granty, who's the, the captain. It's great. Um we'll learn and we we'll learn as we go up there. Yeah. But um I think that the chief the chief could probably speak more on this if we could maybe look into doing something like that.
3: Yeah. I mean I think that it's you know, uh, we had uh the mindfulness, New England mindfulness, right? And and he had um he said the last class I I had that just did, he said I had twenty seven guys like officers, right, in and there was captains, there was some chiefs from different departments in there, and they were and they were like, and and super lieutenants, and they were like, how can we bring this to our department back? How can we how can we show them this? How can we bring this back into our department? And and this guy is like, there they can put on those type of classes, even if it's once every time. Th- but just sort of like, mm, this is a tool that I could have to help me breathe, maybe help me relax, get me through that tomato plant crisis, right? Um, that was going on, and and maybe be able to help. Um, myself through um, a situation, right? Having tools in your tool belt. I always call it like that. Like it's having that tool that you're able to tap into when you need to, yeah. um, to get to that. If you want to tap in on that, chief, it would be um, great.
2: Yeah, I think one of the one of the really uh, great things that uh, former chief Paul Keenan did um, was uh, he had Dr. Gilmartin come out and actually put on a class for everybody in the Quincy Police Department. You had to go to it, and some people went kicking and screaming. And Dr. Gilmartin gives the example all the time with. You know, the person in the back just with his arms crossed the whole time. Yep. Just, you know, hates being there. Yeah. But they're getting something out of it. And yep. it's hard not to get something out of uh listening listening to him speak and yep. and uh you know, he's uh he's so uh, spot on with so many things but it, it gets people kind of into that mindset of recognizing maybe some um some of their own maybe red flags, you know, some of the things that he points out. Awareness, yeah. Yeah. Uh and I thought that was something uh incredibly valuable and something will will you know, um continue going forward. He didn't do it every year, but every couple of years we would have especially new people mm. um to bring him in and, and just sort of uh sort of reset yourself a little bit.
3: Mm. Yeah. Know, yeah, you know. absolutely. Um Christine Leiden and, and Eddie O'Brien, Braintree and and Quincy their their MetroLec and uh Christine had told me that Braint or Waymet had done um for the new recruits, they had done um like a, a mental health they had to bring it was a family night, um, that they had to bring a family member or a friend or whatever, but they had to come with someone for the new recruits in the department and it worked very, very well in Weymouth that they wanted to bring it to, to Braintree the same thing. And, and he talked about that financial wellness, um, just sort of that new truck type of thing, right? And um, red flags about, like, what your first responder will see, that new first responder will see. but And then every one of them left with, like, a phone number to be able to reach out to. And, uh, you know, we've been talking with Christy. That's why they're, they're going to be coming to that family night also. um, But I thought it was something that was very... This is great. This is more of what we want to see, right, in departments because I know in the academies now they're doing much better, right, of getting maybe a day, right, of mental health, right. But right. then all those guys in the academy are all going to different departments where there's different environments, right, right and right. and there's some that are supportive and some that are not so supportive, and and they don't know where to where to turn or where to what to you know where to go on it. Um, but I think it's very important to sort of have continue those small things are really big things you know what i mean um for the career a long lasting career of a first responder um you know with mental health issues especially on the rise and the stressors and you know years ago when you when you went to apply and you went to apply for the academy there was probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds applying for for like gymnasiums or whatever applying for those jobs and it was very hard to get a job and these days now when when departments are looking out for, for looking for first responders they're hard to get them in um in the door so that sort of says a lot you know about you know what we're doing and we need to sort to do better um especially in the new recruits and let them know that yeah we're going to support you and, and get you through a long career a long lasting career healthy yeah.
2: Yeah, I I heard uh, Christine mention that on your podcast about bringing in, uh, having the recruits bring in somebody yeah, either their family or friend. You had to bring somebody in with you, and I thought that was a great idea. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, we sort of have a captive audience when they graduate the academy, uh, when they're in with us and they're going over the policies and procedures and things like that. But it's during those couple weeks before they get out on field training that they meet with, you know, the union uh, representative or somebody from the Mutual Aid Association, uh, and somebody from the stress unit and the different uh units in the department will tell them kind of what they do. Yeah. But I think that's a great idea to to take out even a couple hours one day and let them know that they have to bring somebody in.
3: Yeah. You know, and, and your go family member some of those things so. Yeah. And that way then idea. that way it'll sort of, you know, it will be a continuing if there's new recruits coming in, you know, all the time whatever, every couple of months when however you hire um they'll start to continually having that's just – it's just part of a procedure, a norm that we're going to be doing that type of stuff. Right. You know what I mean? When we have new recruits in, they're getting a little bit of education, and the families are getting it too.
2: Yeah. You know, and one of our uh, one of our coworkers, Jamie Green, always says, uh, "I haven't had an original thought since uh, you know 1989 <laughs> at BC High," and uh, so I, I feel the same way. Uh, so we uh, absolutely uh, steal ideas from other people, and it's great to hear yeah. other police leaders talk about things that they do that are successful and that. Yeah. And then we steal it and we put our name on it and well, we pretend th- it's us. Well, <laughs>
3: Chief, I love that you're open to listening to to o- what other departments are doing, and the, and and they're successful at it and it's working for them right oh, within their department. That's yeah, the only way and, to do it. Yeah, and and maybe maybe that will work for us too. And how can we make that fit into our environment? I love that you're open to that because some some you know departments might might say you know. There's nothing wrong with my department. You know, there's nothing wrong with my department or whatsoever. And there is. Um, if if they're closed, they have a like that closed um, mind. Yeah. Um, y- to it. Y- you
2: you can't. It. If you 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 know uh, if you yeah if you're standing still you're losing. Yeah. Uh, you, you for sure. Keep pushing forward and you got to keep changing yeah. and innovating, and um and yeah that's that's uh it's a daily challenge and you know you gotta you gotta work at it every day. I have a sign over my my door. You have to earn it every day. Uh, yeah. You know. You have to go into work, and, and y- there's no there's no easy days. Um, you know, there are some days that are more challenging than others, and there are some fun days. And yeah. I'm I'm really again blessed that I get to work with such incredibly talented people uh, at all levels in our department and and in our city government. And um, you know, I'm, I'm just uh, very hopeful that that things continue. And um, you know, we're we're in the process now. We have a a um, mental health clinician that works uh, days right awesome. now. And we're in the process of hiring a, a second one to cover the night shift. And although the, the primary focus is on community, the community, yeah. they're also there as a sounding board for us if we have something or for the stress unit awesome. to say, hey, uh, you know, to have a, a licensed clinical social worker, yeah. um, you know, uh, working with you and assigned to your department yeah uh, is a huge benefit oh absolutely to, yeah. Even, absolutely
3: better, so. yeah absolutely because a lot of the calls that a lot of the officers are going out are on mental health right um huge. Huge, huge huge especially since covid um a lot of, lot of this stuff is going on because I, I hear it in, in braintree and weymouth too so yeah i mean guys I, i'm i'm so you know happy that they came in here tonight and and that you came in and and shared with us your own experience um lots of experience like nearly like over 50 years between the two of you of experience in law enforcement as police officers and and moving up the ranks as supervisors and administrators and all, all all in that area but sharing your 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 own experience as a first responder as a new a new energetic um recruit and then you know going on your career and um, and sharing this you know those challenges that you might have faced and, yeah, you might have stuffed it down, but you've learned how to cope with it. And I think that others will will learn from, from your experience. But also mostly what I'm taking from this tonight is that Quincy has a very, very supportive department. Um, You're prepared. You have a stress team. I love that you call it a stress team. Like, let's de-stress team, you know what I mean? Um, But, you know, a stress team on hand in the department that's, you know, there for... um support the men and women that's that's out there on on the streets um doing the job every day and we hope that you know that they feel comfortable and have that belief and trust um which is most important that they will be able to knock on the door of whoever um they feel comfortable talking to um to seek help um you are not alone out there um you are worthy of being healthy and um and be listened to and and you know, if you are struggling, talking, don't give a damn. Just go and knock on that door and, and you'll feel that. I and mean, Jay has said it. Like when you finally went and, and saw help, right, you felt that strength and courage.
0: Yeah, and it was a real surprise to me. Like, you know, I, I, I was a soldier and then I was a fire lieutenant. And, um, you know, if you came up and you asked me, is it okay for somebody to go get help if they're struggling, I'd absolutely say yeah, and I wouldn't consider it. It, within any part of myself that that I might go do the same in, until I had to. And I was very surprised that when I did the relief that I felt and the fact that I felt a sense of strength, as, as Linda was saying, because mm-hmm. everything about considering it felt like weakness uh, to me until I actually went and did it. And uh, it was very clear to me that, that it was an act of strength. And uh, eventually that led to uh, that led to to recovery in terms of, of uh, regaining control over my my mental and emotional state of being. It's yeah. difficult to admit when you lose control of that stuff, but yeah. if you're not sleeping and stuff like that's going on, um, boy, that that'll have an impact, yeah. and uh, you you ought to do something about it. If there's anybody out there listening that's dealing with that right now, because the help that's out there works, yeah. Um, and yeah, you feel strong when you get to when you're okay again.
3: I, f- I also just want to add in to first responders who are listening and just might be listening, relating to Jay, relating to, to Chief Kennedy and relating to uh, Bill, you know, about, you know, what departments are running that. I just want to say, and, and leave it at this identity evening is that when you go and seek help, if you're someone who's saying, uh, I'm struggling here and I need help but I'm afraid, you are not weak when you go and get help. You are a leader when you go and seek help. You are strong and you are worthy of it. You are not weak. You go and get help. Stop giving a damn what other people think about and go and seek help and get well. Do it for you. Do it for your family. Do it for your department. Do it for the community that you work in. It's beneficial for everybody all around. So, um, please go and get help and and seek it. And if if you're Wondering where I can go and say, call us, call one of our hope lines, and we'll be able to guide you in the direction um, of where where we can get resources for you and to get your help. Okay. Yep.
2: And I know Linda, that, yeah. uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yep. That um, with Alex's death and and what you're doing to 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 pay that forward and to try and save other people is is commendable. And thank, uh, you. thank you for what you do. And, and Jay for for putting this on because you know I've listened to several of your podcasts and I've, I've taken something away from pretty much all of them. Uh, so thank you for for what you do, and, and you know Billy and I are are, are very invested into this and, yes. and police mental health. We both lost a good friend to to suicide who was a Quincy police detective, and um and I, I, I remember um, when we went to, to pick him up at the, the medical examiner's office after I was driving with uh, Catholic priest Father Bouton, and he said, uh, he said he said he said Mark how are you doing how are you guys doing and I said uh, you know what Father we're, we're really pissed at him I said we're pissed at him. And he said, uh, he said, well, I, I have some experience with with suicide, and and he said, uh, have you ever have you ever hit your your thumb with a hammer? And I'm not I'm the least mechanically inclined person in my family, so I've mm-hmm. done it several times. And mm-hmm. I said I, I said I have. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know that pain that you're feeling, and you 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 can't think of anything other than how do you stop the pain? Mm-hmm. And you know you can't hear people around you, you can't see other things, you just focus on what do I have to do to stop the pain in my thumb? He said that's. You know, in our friend Eddie, um, he was the funniest, happy-go-lucking life of the party, and you never would have known that he had so much pain. And and it's just anybody that's listening that if you feel like you, you have this pain, you can't think of any other way to do it. I know uh, there was a 1,000 people that would have lined up to do anything for, for our friend Eddie, as I'm sure Same Alex, your yeah. son Alex. And, you know, just uh, great people. And if you're out there and and you're thinking you need help, get help. If you think you can't think of any other way to stop the pain, um, I guarantee there are people out there that will get you through it. And, uh, you know, it's like... uh, No shame. No shame. No shame. No shame. I I say, it. you know, whatever you're going through, and I use the analogy a lot with some of our people who are going through divorce because I've experienced that. And I say, you know, it's like the end of Shawshank Redemption. You're gonna have to crawl through that tunnel, and it's gonna suck while you're in there. Yeah. I guarantee you'll be sanding the boat on the beach on the other side. You just gotta keep pushing through,
3: absolutely, and, and
2: seek help. And there are many people. I guarantee your listeners. I guarantee if yeah. you just tell somebody you need help, yeah, they are going to help you, and you are going to feel a whole lot better on the other side of that tunnel. So. Yeah,
3: you don't have to go through it alone.
2: You don't have to go through it alone. Right?
3: There's many people that are out there to yeah. be able to you lend a hand to you. Up right? And
2: they would be grateful. And thankful that you asked for their help.
3: Yeah. So for sure, absolutely yeah. for sure. Uh oh, chief, I want to give you a hug. I am going to give him a hug when <laughs> I get off this microphone. I can tell you and take these headphones off. I am going to go over and give him a hug. Um but thank you. Thank you for yeah, thank for you. saying thank that. You for us. I felt that from you um and I I really appreciate you guys coming in and sharing all of that with us. I I really appreciate it. And your own experience um as a suicide loss survivor of a friend um, cuz that you are also uh Lost survivors too and have to be able to deal with that loss too right just like i am um you want to sign off
0: yeah just no yeah thank you both for joining us on the podcast thank you for your service gentlemen chief kennedy and lieutenant ward joined us in the studio to share their own experiences as young police officers when they were new on the job Lieutenant Ward shared about responding to a shooting incident his first week on the job and the impact that that had on him. Chief Kennedy knew from the get-go that he always wanted to work in law enforcement. It was only when he partnered up with a member of the department's stress team that he came to realize the significance of the work that peer support officers were doing. This is a department that supports mental wellness. We thank Chief Kennedy and Lieutenant Ward for prioritizing mental health with the same importance as physical health. Till next time. Till next time.